You're listening to Amplify Ambition. I'm Kristen Edwards, leadership consultant and your guide to implementing custom strategies based on your personality type. This is the podcast where you get to evaluate your personal and professional growth and create your best life by growing a business that works for you. Let's dive in because your next level of success is within reach once you decide to dream loudly. I am so excited. So Danielle and I go way back. Um, I won't do the actual math, but it's a while. Um, we actually served in a community or um, grad school organization together. Um, and then years after that, our journeys definitely split, mostly because I left the field of higher education. Hmm. Um, but you know, we've been able to stay in contact. So I'm really excited to bring Danielle on to today's podcast episode. As we go into the holidays, um, obviously it's an overall joyous time, but many of us for different um, reasons might actually be dealing with grief as well or navigating that grief process, um, especially during the holidays. So I wanted to have Danielle come on. She is a student affairs professional, a writer, trainer, and a TEDx speaker. So welcome to the show, Danielle. Thank you so much. It's good to see you again. You too. I'm so excited for this conversation. I want to start off. I started off as a multi-passionate coach and always asking people, you know, to bring all of who you are to the forefront. So although today we're going to be dealing with a pretty heavy topic of grief and navigating um, the gratitude that you can find in that, I do want to start off saying, what is that cause or that thing that you're really passionate about that doesn't really show up in this brand of navigating grief and grief gratitude that we're seeing from you. Yeah, I think that's really important because sometimes I feel like when I when I talk about my grief process or how to move through it, that it seems one note, even though it's so multifaceted in itself. But I would say one area or a couple areas that I'm, I'm really passionate about. I know you said I'm a writer. I love to write. I love to read. Um, I have way too many books that are stacking up in bookshelves that I do not have yet. Um, I'd also say music. Uh, I'm a big, you know, curating playlists for friends and, you know, what music is going to help heal in the moment. And, um, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed, I'm a big lyric person. So understanding the words that are being said and what the meanings are and, how they can help people, um, which all kind of ties together with what I like to do. But I would say music has always been um, a huge passion in my life. I also am very good at memorizing lyrics, um, even from songs I haven't heard in 20 years. Um, So that's definitely something that I, um, is people who know me know that, but it's not necessarily outward out there. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I definitely knew about all the quotes and usually they were song lyrics. That kind of got yep. me down. Quotes. So, um, that part is a consistent through line for, for these several years that I've met you, um, for sure. So I want to transition into, you know, what even got you to say, like, let me start just not just loving to write, but writing a TED talk and then actually putting this whole TED talk together. And obviously, if you can share some of the background of what even led you to what you're doing today. Yeah. So yeah, like you, like you said, I've, I've always been a writer at heart. When I was a kid, I would write poems on random pieces of paper, or when I didn't have money as a child, I would write my parents things and print them out for their birthdays. And, 
Uh, so that was always, always what I did. I originally, I went to my first college fair at 13 because that's what a normal person does uh, to look at creative writing programs. So that's just been interwoven into my whole life. Um, in terms of the TED Talk, I had such a wonderful opportunity to apply to be a speaker through my undergrad, so Western New England University. Uh, they were doing their first official TEDx event, um, and they were specifically looking for student, staff, uh, faculty, and alumni to be a mix of the speakers. I'm like, this is something that I've wanted to do to be able to share something and um, really be a part of something bigger. So I applied and at first I was like, oh, do I do something on conflict resolution? Do I do something on emergency response? Cause that's, you know, my professional life. And I'm like, no, I kind of have a bigger story to tell um, and realize that, you know, reflecting on the losses that I've had, um, I was reflecting a lot on not necessarily my own grief process, but how other people near me were reacting to that grief process. Uh, so I decided, let's talk about that instead. So I auditioned and was able to be a part of it. And it was a very uh, difficult process to develop a talk. And, uh, but I had a really great support system and the other speakers and the, the students that were running it. And it was honestly such an amazing experience. I still talk to the other speakers today. That's awesome. And I think it's always yeah. nice when you do something so unique that you do create that bond, right? And yeah. It's not easy to just, you know, wake up one morning and be like, I'm going to do a TED talk now. I know. Um, and so to have the opportunity to apply and obviously working with that group of, isn't it like six months to a year that you're connected with this group? Like it's a while. So yeah, we auditioned around Thanksgiving of last year. Uh, and then we did six weeks of classes online for like three hours every Wednesday or something together uh, through TED. So it's a, a specific class that you take uh, to help develop your talk. And then we had, I think, five weeks where I was driving out to Springfield, Mass every Saturday morning uh, to rehearse um, and connect with each other. And we were partnered with other, uh, another speaker to help guide us through. Um, but there was, I think out of the six of us, I'm really close to uh, three of the others. Uh, so we have like a group chat and uh, try to like talk about different things. So it's, it's, yeah, been at this point, like a year. That's so crazy. Well, congratulations on a TEDx talk. It's, it's, I know it's no easy feat just from like watching other people do their TEDx talks. Um, so to actually, you know, just know what's going on behind the scenes. I think that's really, amazing um so we've kind of like talked around it but we haven't actually talked about yeah. it so uh, if you can share a little bit about your grief journey as well yeah so it's wild that it's been this long but so in March of 2016 is when everything started uh random Tuesday morning I get a phone call from my dad saying my mom was in the hospital uh ended up that she had the flu that turned into uh, pneumonia uh, so I ended up leaving work, going to the hospital, uh, and found out that they were going to have to put her into a medically induced coma because her lungs were already um, not working well because of how severe the pneumonia was. Um, so then a few days later, we thought things were getting better. That ended up not being the case. Uh, and that Sunday into Monday, uh, my mom ended up passing away. It just wasn't, it wasn't going to turn around for her. Um, that was really difficult because... Um, my parents met when they were 15. 
Uh, so they had been together forever. They had just celebrated their 30th wedding anniversary and they were in a really good place. Um, now that my sister and I were, were adults, I was 27. My dad didn't know how to use a debit card. Uh, he didn't know what money was in their bank accounts. My mom literally gave him a cash allowance and like he brought in all the money. She managed everything. So trying to help figure out an entire marriage worth of, of information afterwards, it, it was just really overwhelming. Um, it was hard. Uh, I did not handle it well. I was very depressed. I isolated. I did not want to talk to anyone. I struggled with my uh, relationships, friendships. Um, I just couldn't handle the fact that she was gone. And it took a really long time for me to, to even talk about it. Um, I did so. I ended up going to the therapist that my mom had to try to help with helping me through that process. And going to a therapist for really the first time I'd been like one off here and there in the past, but having someone who knew who my mom was, that was helpful. It just so happened that the first time I walked into that therapist's office was the same day that my grandfather passed away. Um, so I came in and broke down for a totally different reason than I expected. Um, my grandfather was definitely the patriarch of the dad's side of my family. Um, moved from Portugal to Canada, down to the US, brought the whole family over. So he was a very, very important figure in our, in our lives. Um, so I'd given my mom's eulogy in March, three months later, I'm giving it again uh, for my grandfather. Um, I'm the oldest of his 12 grandkids. So I was helping a lot of my cousins through that loss because uh, we're all very close. Um, and I was like, what, what else is going to come? Um, I had a couple other funerals that I had to go to for, you know, family, friends that passed and um, a couple great aunts passed the same year in 2016. Um, so I just felt like I was constantly in funeral homes and my head was spinning. Um, I felt like I was starting to come out of it probably like late 2017, like heading into the fall. Um, and then I was down in North Carolina for another one of our grad school friends' weddings. Um, and I got a call from my dad's police station. He was a police officer for 30 years um, that my dad had been in an accident. Um, he was an avid motorcycle rider. He was New England state trained uh, to be on a specific motorcycle uh, force. So he knew how to ride bikes. Um, he was hit by a driver on the highway um, and ended up uh, dying a day later. So it was happening all over again. Um, I think one of the hardest parts was that was not only devastating because I lost my second parent in 18 months. It was also very public. It was on the news. It was on the radio. I was followed by the media. I had to have a detail uh, following my sister and I for like a week uh, to make sure that we weren't being followed. Um, so I felt like I wasn't alone ever. Uh, while my entire family was looking to me to figure out what was going to happen next, because my dad was the big figure uh, in our immediate family, and no one really knew what to do. His sisters looked to me, what's going to happen? The, you know, while he was in the hospital, the police force was pulling me into literal meetings at the hospital to talk about the logistics of his funeral because of the traffic that was going to happen, because of the amount of people that were going to show up, and do we need to take over the Tufts University campus to have the wake? Like that was like 
why do I need to be thinking of this when my dad's in a hospital bed and we know what's going to happen? So it was just really overwhelming. Um, I had to censor what I said in my eulogy for him because it was going to be broadcast on the news. Uh, and I was afraid that if I mentioned other people's names, they would also be followed. Uh, so it just felt very large and impersonal to a degree while also being surrounded by so much like love and caring. You know, when the state senator of Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren, sends your dad flowers to his funeral. It's kind of a weird, yeah. wow. <laughs> like, Thank you. Know, you. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I'm like, oh, wow. That's, I didn't know you knew each other. Like, I, it, it was very, it was very weird just to have that much attention. Um, you know, one of my friend's dads was driving and had the radio on and heard my voice. Um, so it, it was really strange because um, I felt like I couldn't focus on what was actually happening when I was focusing on the logistics. So, you know, fast forward, you know, we ended up going through a, a, a criminal trial for the person that hit my dad. That was all over the news um, and I was getting phone calls. So it, it just kind of continued. And one of the things I kept thinking of was, you know, when is anyone going to realize that I'm not okay and that I'm struggling and that I'm not in a really good place. And it was just like, oh, well, Danielle's fine. Danielle's fine. How's your sister doing? Is she okay? But you're okay. Um, and it, that's just how, how it went. Um, and it was frustrating because I felt really alone. Um, and I think one of the biggest differences, you know, I mentioned that my, when my mom passed, I didn't handle it well. The biggest change I made was I just talked about it all the time. Um, if I was having a rough day, I said it. Uh, if I was upset, I showed it. Um, I made sure that people understood where I was at in my process because I couldn't hold it in anymore. It was just too big. Um, and I think that helped to release some of the negative and the difficult energy um, by being honest. And I think it helped people react better uh, and not make as many assumptions. So that was kind of the, the culmination of a very long 18 months, two years. Um, things are obviously still changing and it's still difficult, but um, I'd say the, the biggest lesson I learned from it all is, you know, don't hide your grief. Um, not enough people talk about it. It seems too bit too taboo. That's just not worth it. Uh, if anything, there's a lot more people that can connect with it if you actually just open your mouth. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. And so thank you for sharing your story. And I think one of the things to, you know, recognize is that, yes, we all process it differently. And I think for someone like you and I, who were good at putting on a brave face and just mm -hmm. getting done what needs to happen kind of a thing, recognizing that just because someone is functioning on the surface doesn't exactly. mean that there are a million and 50, you know, 20 emotions happening on the inside. So from someone who's on the other side of it, a friend, a family member, a colleague, watching someone navigate the grief process, is there something that we can say or do, obviously saying, how are you and actually caring <laughs> yeah. is a start, but, you know, are there certain things that kind of help you um, as a person kind of navigate that grief process or feel more comfortable that you aren't holding it all in inside and kind of creating turmoil for yourself internally. 
for the person on the other side, you know, I'll plug my talk a little bit um, that I created an acronym to help people remember certain things that can, can be helpful. So my talk is called cleaning up the grief process and clean is that acronym. Um, so we have uh, connect, listen, empathize, accept, and normalize. And normalize is more external with you know, we need better bereavement policies and, and, and all those things that I could talk about all day. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, three days is never, is not enough if that's even what you're getting. Uh, but I would say the biggest thing is, you know, like you said, like, how are you doing? But sometimes people like you and I put on a face, I'm fine. Um, but I would say, you know, when you're noticing how people are saying things like, oh, I noticed like you have a different energy today, what's on your mind? you know, prompting a little bit differently. Um, and also just, if you know that person, do they like coffee? Are they someone who cooks a lot? Um, do they listen to music to help them? You know, what are you doing to connect in ways that are normal for them um, that can help them recognize you're still there and recognize them as a person and not as a griever? Because uh, sometimes it seems like, oh, well, you're the person that's going through a tough time. And, you know, we handle people in grief like they're glass dolls. Uh, whereas I think they're full of amazing fortitude and strength to move forward and plan a funeral and have to pick up the pieces of their lives. Um, one of the things I say in my talk is the people who are doing the grieving are holding the broom. They just need someone to hold the dustpan. Just be there. Um, don't just say, I'm there for you. What can I do for you right after when they're planning the funeral, when they're going to the funeral, if they're not directly related or you know, uh, if they just need help, but it's like a couple months later when everyone forgets the shininess of, of services or ceremonies or whatever people adhere to, to how they process their grief, they kind of forget if they're not the ones actually grieving, checking in later. I think that part is even more important because it's not just about like the flowers uh, are the donations. It's the, uh, okay, like it's been a couple months, let's talk about it. Um, I have a partner that is really great about honoring anniversaries with me. Um, so like, hey, the anniversary of your dad passing is coming up. What are we going to do to honor him today? Um, so we'll have a Corona light with lime and <laughs> watch a funny movie because that was, you know, what my dad did. Um, and recognizing that those days are hard, like having a bad dad day, having a bad mom day, uh, and just kind of having that language. So that works for me. Um, but I think, you know, knowing the person that you're connecting with and not just doing it right after is the, the main piece. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. And so then I want to kind of take it another step further in terms sure. of in the workplace in when you're dealing with your teams and your colleagues, uh -huh. you know, those are the people that are seeing you day in and day out yeah. a couple months later. Um, and so how do you navigate grief in the workplace? We can skip the policy part because I agree with you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but in, in a just from, you know, again, colleague to colleague, subordinates to management, like any type of, of team that you're kind of working with, you know, how do you support them? Um, and same thing, now that you've actually been through such a process of, for yourself, your colleagues since then, how do you turn around and support them as well? Yeah, so I've definitely been on both sides uh, in the time that my parents have passed 
So I've been a griever and I've had staff who have, have been grieving. And I think, you know, it's so true that sometimes you have to go through it to truly understand. Um, but I think, you know, general caring and empathy is just something that I think is important in the workplace. Um, I've worked with people in the past who have said that empathy is a weakness. I completely disagree. Um, I think empathy just gives us more perspective on people's lives. It allows us to really know how to work with people. Um, so I'd say similar, similar to what I said before, just I'm not the type to be afraid to share how I am at work. Um, sometimes people think that that in general is taboo or unprofessional to share who you are. And I, I think it's, it's up to personal boundaries and what you want to share. Um, but even if it's like, Hey, I'm having a rough day, um, can kind of set the tone for, okay, cool. Like whatever you need. Uh, but I think it's, it especially comes out in supervisory relationships. And that's definitely something that I've noticed, uh, I've had a couple people that have worked for me that have lost a parent or have lost a loved one really close to them. Um, and we've had to shift how we do our supervision. You know, what does that look like? Where is your energy right now? Do we need to flex time? Um, do we need to not talk about work in our supervisory meetings for a little bit to make sure that you're doing okay? Um, obviously not replacing the role of a therapist, but you know, how is it impacting you? What are students saying? Because uh, I work in a college setting. Um, and how are they doing long term? How are we adjusting goals? How can I support you differently? Like, this is how I typically follow up on tasks and assignments. Do you need something different? Do you need extra attention during this time to help you manage? How are we going to change that uh, communication? If you need a half a day to just like I'm having a rough one and I need to take a day. How am I going to communicate that with you? Uh, and I think it was almost like a resetting of expectations and goals from a supervisory relationship that um, helped to bring respect and professionalism to a really messy, muddy, emotional process where I'm like, okay, we still have to get the job done. Let's figure out a way in your new normal to do that. Um, and I think that's been incredible. Um, my and uh, the new role I'm in, my my supervisor definitely is someone who does that. I actually had to go to a, a funeral back in early September. And she was like, what days do you need? What do you need to do? How are we going to flex this? How can I support? And I'm like, this is exactly what I need. This is when I need it. I don't need anything more than that. Thank you so much. Um, and she followed up on it. Like, is there anything that needs to be readjusted? So it was kind of an immediate support. But I think creating structure and communication uh, will help to ground someone who is floating, <laughs> floating in a time that's just really difficult. Yeah, I think that's, that's such a great thing to share. And so obviously being a great leader is, you know, one, listening and two, communicating out. And I think, yes, flexibility for do you need time off or you do you need a two-hour lunch break so that you can do what you need right. to or take a whole day whatever that might look like but also having some flexibility in what responsibilities um that person has and mm -hmm. not saying that you're letting them drop the ball and like right. walk away you know completely free but if there is some adjustments that can be made for the immediate month or two kind of following you know such a traumatic experience than having those adjustments um and i'm just going to put this out there because i do think corporate america is like if they're not in your household it doesn't count as family and i'm like 
okay, lots of questions um, around that, but recognizing, you know, who on your team, I've had um, my mom's really close friends, like they're all aunts and like, I have 25 aunts, you know, some are immediate family and others are, have been around and I actually see them more than like my blood relatives. And so recognizing that, that impacts, you know, people just as much as if it were a parent or a child or a sibling um, as well. And, and, and I think the important thing is to kind of say, you know, what can I do to support you? But not just like the cute, flimsy, like, I got you. Like, no, no, right. no really. <laughs> I Like, what can I actually do? What can right. I change um, to do that? So thank you for sharing those as well. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience today in terms of navigating grief, whether for themselves or supporting someone who's going through the grief process? Yeah, I would say don't hide as much as that's really vulnerable um, and be open about where you're at in your process, like I said. Um, but I would say, you know, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a mental health counselor utilize those resources. I recognize that there's a lot of stigma and a lot of different cultures and backgrounds and family dynamics that limit us to wanting to reach out to resources, but um, I had to break through some of that myself to to get myself to go to therapy after my mom died. Uh, I'm very grateful that I did. Uh, It doesn't mean you're broken. It means you're trying to strengthen what you already have. and what, if it's a formal counselor, great. If it's someone who is really, really great at listening and that's all you need. Uh, if it's a hike by yourself in a safe location, uh, you know, whatever it's going to do to make sure that you can get the peace of mind um, and honesty in your life, whatever that looks like. Uh, because hiding in the dark and not sharing is not going to help you move forward. Uh, You're never going to forget what happened, nor should you, uh, because it is a new part of your story and your life, and that shouldn't be forgotten. We're not trying to forget. Um, We're trying to create a new version of our lives, and we can only do that by sharing who we are. Uh, Otherwise, people will only see what happened before. And I think that means that you're missing, missing, missing out on a lot of context and like, I'm not the same person I was five years ago. I'm not. And I'm proud of that. It took a lot of pain and a lot of growth and a lot of therapy. Um, but I am a better version of myself because I've opened myself up to help and more support in new ways. Um, and I'm proud of that. So I'd say just use your support network, whatever that is. Yeah. And I think that's really important. If you don't have that immediate support network, go create it by having a coach, a therapist, a mentor, you know, really helping you navigate um, through that. But I think the most important thing is that you decided that you wanted to grow and be a better version of yourself, not shrink and hide um, from the in the process. So thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing um, that that wisdom, um, as well as you've kind of navigated this journey for yourself and with others as well. Um, Again, your 10X talk is called Cleaning Up the Grief Process. I'll drop the link in the show notes for that. I know you're also working on a book, um, but while we're waiting for this book to be published (laughs) and shared with the world, where can we find you? How can we connect with you? um, And how can people learn from you too? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm developing and it should be really set up uh, by the end of this year. So uh, I know we're hitting the holidays. So by by the time this this drops, it'll definitely be ready. Uh, but DanielleRemigio.com uh, and DL underscore Remigio on Instagram. Uh, I'm trying to set up different spaces to talk about grief, to connect, uh, to share my thoughts and writings, especially on the on the website. Um, and then I'm also working on developing different training sessions or speaking engagements that I can come in. So if you have uh, a group or a class or uh, just a, a group of people that want to talk about it, I would love to come in and facilitate or train uh, on the clean method, I guess, of, of grief response and support uh, to just really connect and help people recognize uh, the strength in sharing stories and growing from what has happened to them. So I would love to be able to connect and do that and, and just share together. Awesome. Thank you. So I'll drop all those links in the show notes. Danielle, it was so awesome to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story and hanging out with me today. Yeah, thank you. Are you searching for a simple way to run your business sustainably as you create your best life? Click the link in the show notes to learn about upcoming workshops or speaking events and to work with me directly. I'll teach you my methodology for applying psychology to your business strategy without the cookie cutter tactics so you can avoid burnout and confidently step into leadership and own your expertise. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please take a moment to share it on Instagram or your favorite social media platform and tag me at Coach Keds. Now go the extra mile and even leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help more women listen in and join our community. Thanks for listening to Amplify Ambition. Until next time, dream loudly.